we're going to jump in um, this week and the next week, the kind of bookends of Jesus' farewell discourse is what it's, what it's known as in John chapters 14 through 17. It's when Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure from them. And one uh, New Testament scholar says, these chapters have often rightly been seen among the most precious and intimate uh, in the New Testament. They're full of comfort and challenge and hope. They're full of deep and strange personal relationship that Jesus longs to have with each of his followers. We shouldn't be surprised. They're also full of some of the richest theological insights of a sense of discovering who the true God is and what he's doing in the world and in us. So next week, uh, this week, John 14, next week, we'll celebrate Jesus' ascension. And it's this really neglected, massively important moment in the life of the church and in our, our yearly rhythms together. And it, Jesus ascending to heaven, we, we often don't, don't think of that until you have a kid and they ask, well, where is Jesus? And you say, well, actually, but Jesus ascending into heaven opens up massive space for his, for his lordship and his reign over this whole world in our time, like between his advent and between his return. Uh, another theologian considers Jesus' going, his going up to heaven, and this is what he's describing to his followers in this farewell discourse. His going is itself a coming to them. Because his, his nearness and his like, reunion and intimacy with the Father to whom all things are always present, along with the gift of his Holy Spirit that he pours out onto us, opens up the life of the Trinity to us. Like... In, in a new way, in a way that, is, that we have more access and that Christ is more present to us now, even than when he was present with his disciples. That, that is something to spend the whole week like, in your prayer considering the, the grace in that. So I'm going to invite Gary to come up and read um, from John 14, 1 through 21. Now don't be misled, don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to this place that I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Then we'll be, that will be enough for us. Jesus replied, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been with you all this time, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, 
I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. If I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth, whom the word can receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. I won't, leave you <clears throat> I won't leave you as an orphan. I will come to you soon. The world will no longer see me, but will see you, and you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever keeps my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father also and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Thanks, Gary. That was such a mean trick to make Gary read that. That's like a Romans 7 reading where it's just crazy. <laughs> if that text makes you guys dizzy, like, Gary did awesome, by the way. If it makes you dizzy, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> Throughout the week, uh, when I was working on this text, um, I, 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 I was getting so confused, and I couldn't pin down what Jesus was trying to say, so I started to take notes. And I was in Foster's, and you can see right around that end, it gets real arrowy, right? Um, and, and I posted that uh, on social media, and my, my Greek teacher um, from seminary of course, like matter-of-factly says, just get in the Greek. Like, that'll clear it all up. And so it didn't. <laughs> um, but so, I actually, later in the week, um, this week is Noah's last week of preschool uh, for the summer, and I actually found the most kind of concise workup of this John passage in something that Noah did for school, this worksheet uh, for mother appreciation, Mother's Appreciation Day. And, and so if you get past the, my mom is not very good at flipping, um, <laughs> this, this kind of line, she loves me because I love her, I love my mom because she loves me. That kind of seems like the narrative substructure of John 14, right? <laughs> in, in an effort to kind of distill a little bit of what I've finally arrived at Jesus is trying to get after, uh, I, I just want to offer kind of three observations based on Jesus' powerful, enigmatic self-identification in this text. Simply, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. First off, Jesus 
as the way and shows us the way. And I think the way that he's talking about in here for how confusing as it can get at times is simply that faith and faithfulness are knotted together. Faith and faithfulness are knotted together. I can't tell at the beginning of this passage if Jesus is like anticipatory, like he, he's excited about where he's going, or if he's kind of nostalgic <laughs> in the way he's describing going to be with God. I can't tell if he's really forward-facing, talking about the new life he's preparing as the first fruits of the new creation, this, this new prototype and forerunner of a new humanity, or if he's kind of in homecoming mode, you know, describing this pre-existent place that he left to come here to be with us. As he, he, it's almost like he's, he's telling his disciples, uh, painting these beautiful pictures of home. And right when you, you start to kind of feel the den walls with all the like, decades worth of night conversations like seeped into the walls, or, or you can kind of start to see like, the door, like, scuffed door frames with penciled marks that talk about a life. I mean, it is an eternal and uncreated life, but it's a life together in the triune family of God. Right when you're starting to get a little hint at all that intimacy, then Thomas interjects. <laughs> he says, where? How can we get there? Show us the way. I need a map. This is probably something many of us would do to Jesus, too. But Jesus famously replies like he's always talking in John's gospel. He says, ego I me. He says, I am. And in John's gospel up until this point, even up into the 14th chapter and then beyond, he says all these, these pretty wild identifiers, these metaphors, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. A few weeks ago we heard, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. But Jesus saying, I am, is a little, a little more intense. It's a little more dangerous, too, because that's God talk. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who shows up to Moses and says, I am who I am. And so Jesus also in John's gospel starts saying some pretty dangerous and maybe potentially blasphemous, if it's not true, things about himself. He says, I am the son of man. This, this, is, this is, you know, the one from Daniel 9. <laughs> I am the one who was before Abraham, the one who called and made a, a family. I am one with the Father. I am God's Son. He must have already felt like, with all those clues, like he had already told him his destination. Thomas is asking, where are you going? Jesus must have felt like he, he told him that. He tipped him off right off the bat when he said, trust in God and trust also in me. I like a better translation that some Bible scholars translate it, and they say, believe into God, believe into me also. Believe into God. Jesus' way is the way of faith, of belief, of trust, 
That's why that word is speckled throughout the whole speech to his friends. When I was doing all those kind of laying out all the words, I would highlight every time I saw faith, pistis, and there were just pink marks all over my paper. This, this dominates his speech to his friends. It's also the word that, that dominates the way Paul talks about a life following Jesus. Faith, faith, faith. But the, the brilliant thing is that this word pistis, like I uh, think it sounds funny, it's a Greek word, but think like uh, epistemology, like that's, that's the word, like how we know what we know, um, faith, belief. The, the brilliant thing is that this word is so stinking hard to translate, like it's just like elusive. It's quicksilver. It's hard to tie down. There's whole like massive careers and dissertations built around whether to translate it as faith or faithfulness, like something something you do or something that you you have done. Faith means trust, confidence. It's rock solid conviction that something is true or someone will be there. Faithfulness means this like rugged, overtime, unswerving fidelity, obedience to someone or something. You can see how these two things are, are connected, right? Faith and faithfulness. Like you have faith in your husband. You are faithful to your wife. Faith comes to believe that something is so and fidelity comes to build a life around it. I think that Jesus likes to kind of mess with this double entendre of faith and faithfulness. His way, the way, is further up and further into the Father, believing into God. And that should be our way too. Jesus' way is believing into God. It's sinking in to God and sinking up with his gracious character. The character of the father of lights. This is how James talks about it. The, the one who gives every good and perfect gift from heaven. That's why I like that song that we opened up with, uh, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It, it can sound kind of like fun and cute, but like, it's such a faith song, such an intimacy song of, of diving in, of sinking into God's arms that are going to be there and they're, they're going to hold us. That Jesus demands our faith, that we also believe in him, not just with our hearts, or not just with our minds and our mouths, but also with our hearts and our hopes. This, this last week I saw... A um, this short kind of documentary, and it's it kind of showed me a little something that I hadn't considered about Jesus. It it's called Godspeed, and it's about a pastor. He's an American, but he went to live in Scotland. Is where he started his pastoral career, and uh, it's you can go watch it, but it's probably one of those things that like pastors probably appreciate more than like anyone else. It's a pretty like slim, non-lucrative market that this is in. But the cool, the cool story that happened, like there's all these amazing famous uh, 
pastors and Bible scholars interviewed in it. And then there's this, this guy that they keep interviewing who's, his name's Alan Torrance, which is also the name of a really great theologian, but it's not the great theologian. It's just this Scottish guy in a kilt with like red hair and a red beard. And when, when this pastor first met him, he like not only was not a Christian, but didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And over the course of a lot of conversations, the, the thing that convinced this man that Jesus was who he said he was and was worthy to be followed and worthy to receive his faith was, was not a sermon, but was a map. You see, this guy lived in this tiny village in Scotland. Like, places in Scotland apparently don't even necessarily have great addresses. Like, you live, you live in a house. Like, it doesn't necessarily have a street number. Um, and and what, what got this guy was the fact um, when he realized that Jesus wasn't just living in or preaching in big cities, but he was living in and preaching in villages about the same size as his village in Scotland. And the reason that made such a big difference is he said, in a place that small, Jesus would have to earn people's trust and he would be held accountable. If he wasn't saying the truth, they would hold him to account and potentially like kill him for it, even before they killed him for it. Uh, but what got him was the fact that, that they, would, they, they would A, know that he was lying, and, and B, see his life every day. See his life for that 30 years before we get his kind of public life. In short, Jesus' fidelity, his faithfulness, his long-lived orientation and obedience to the Father proved Jesus' identity to this man. And it became the reason for everyone else who's trusted in Jesus to trust in him. I think that's fascinating. It says, it wasn't a sermon that changed his mind, it was a map. And so, back in our story, Jesus asks Philip, don't you know me? (laughs) Even after I've been with you all this time, you see, the, they're on this, this map, right? They, they've been on this journey. He says, trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's talking about the way. He says, this is going to be a way of faith built on my faithfulness and requiring your faith and your faithfulness. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The way is going to have faith and faithfulness, faith and obedience knotted together because so much of what you're volunteering for can't be explained. It can only be experienced. This is what he's saying to Philip, and this is what he's saying to us. It can't be sampled. It can only be swallowed whole and digested really slowly over a life. You'll screw it up, too, like inevitably, You'll screw it up. That's the hard thing when you talk about faithfulness is like the first time you're unfaithful, you you feel like you're out. But that's not the story of Israel. That's not the story of how God responds to his people. In this world of faith and grace, it's not about perfectionism. It's about immersion. Believing into God and believing into Jesus also. You are immersed 
so that this Jesus life slowly and quietly and stealthily, maybe even to yourself, becomes your life. This Jesus life becomes your life. That's when all those arrows start to make sense. It's a tangle, and it should be. This, this is a life made on the way of faith and fidelity. Jesus also says that, he says, I am the way. He also says, I am the truth. And I think when we talk about truth, we have to talk about an obsession. For those of us that, who don't get dizzy by kind of the circularity and mutual metaphysical indwelling, that's what they call it in this passage, you probably turn off or you tune out when Jesus starts talking about being the truth. Like, that seems kind of arrogant <laughs> to us. His claim, nobody comes to the Father except through me, seems a little too exclusive for us. You've met those people who lay claims to possessing the truth, and frankly, they're not the sort of people we want to associate with, let alone become like. <laughs> and I'm sympathetic to both of these syndromes, confusion and repulsion. Like, that's kind of describes like, how most of us are, if we're honest. But what I think is fascinating about Jesus, who claims to not only be truth, but to be the truth, is how obsessed he is with others. How obsessed Jesus is with others. Specifically, even in this passage, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus' own followers around him. Obsessed. In several in my several rounds of studying the text, I started to also highlight, I highlighted faith, but I also started highlighting mentions of the Father by name or by pronoun. Thirteen times in this, if you're wondering. Jesus also talks about the Spirit three times. He talks about the Son once. <laughs> Thirteen times and then thrice for the Spirit. His is no brow-beating truth but a truth completely obsessed and in service to the will of the Father. It's truth delivered by the Spirit. He calls it the Spirit of truth. It's truth indwelling from the Father, borrowed from the fount of all truth and beauty and goodness. You see, Jesus, unlike many others then, are now claiming it, the truth is not something secret, it's not something exclusive, it's not something coercive, but it's public and plain. Like oh, one, of, uh, one of my favorite songwriters has a quote, he puts it, the truth is public domain, right? The truth is public domain. But get this, because of that way, that not that tangle, that spaghetti of, of faith and faithfulness. Because Jesus some way, somehow maintains this intimacy and knowledge and fellowship with the Father that he's had from all eternity, even while he's on earth. Like, he says, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And I imagine that's really easy to happen in some, like, pre-existent eternal ether, but he's saying that now, while he's on earth, while he's 
tempted in every way that we are while he's being pressed upon not only by individual but by corporate sin, the causes and effects of sin, not just while he he feels like there's not enough because to be human means to be limited. And not just, not just, you know, when he's being subjected to an utterly grotesque injustice of being executed publicly on a cross. It's, it's not in spite of all those things, but it's because of all those things that Jesus is the truth. In the midst of all those things, he maintains intimacy with the Father. So no matter what is pressing on you, what is tearing you up, <laughs> it's not, there's no delay in intimacy with the Father. It's, it's, it's right there, right then, that you run to the Father and you, and you lean and you believe into the Father and believe into Jesus also. That's the truth. That's why Jesus is true. He is the truth even if he didn't earn it. But Jesus' faithfulness says that he also earned it too. And that, that's crazy. <laughs> that Jesus is the truth that God will do and has done the most extreme and unthinkable thing. That God gave God's self. God broke God's body. God broke up God's family. God gave God's son in order to be with us to bring us back to him, to, to have us join him in renewing the face of the earth. So yes, Jesus is the truth. But in the words of, kind of to paraphrase uh, G.K. Chesterton, Jesus' religion was less of a theory and more of a love affair. <laughs> it's this true, firm foundation, completely obsessed with everyone else but himself. This, he says, like, uh, uh, the other song, I told you, these are like pantheon of my songs right here. But, like, that song, Firm Foundation, he, I just imagine Jesus singing in, like, three-part harmony with the Father and the Spirit, that last verse, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake. Uh, and notice the three parts of the end here. I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Like, that, that is Jesus's Truth is that steadfastness that comes from this massive, infinite, eternal inner life with God. This above all things should shape the way we discover and witness to the truth. The way we handle truth with our neighbors. The way we have hard conversations with loved ones, with family and friends and spouses. It all needs to happen in this context of humility and selflessness, always concerned with the other and always rooted in steadfastness, in trustworthiness. If we're going to say God is faithful, we, we as people who are in God should be like the most trustworthy, solid people to our friends and coworkers who don't know God. Like if we're like completely unreliable and not trustworthy, how are we at all witnessing to a God who is rock-solid trustworthy and other-oriented and self-giving and patient, who's not going anywhere? Lastly, 
Jesus says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. And he says, I am the life. And this life is a sticks with locked in sort of life. Uh, pardon me if this is repetitive, but these things interweave and it's, they're less kind of three uh, different parts than like three legs on a stool that are all kind of part of each other or the middle part of the Venn diagram. Because of his intimate truthfulness, Jesus promises his disciples and promises us that we can ask him for anything and he'll do it. I think this, this verse is, is A, really exciting, and B, massively damaging to the faith of many people when they ask Jesus for something and they don't get it. To, to, and this isn't just like some sort of, like some type of person. This is each of us when we ask God for something and we're, we're seeking to kind of name and claim this blessing from this genie Jesus and a vending machine God, like we all do that. Like that's not someone else, that's us. But get this, right after this promise, ask me anything and I'll do it. Ask God anything in my name, he'll do it. Jesus seems to prime the pump for what that means. And I think I just made up that phrase, prime the pump. But he seems to prime the pump for their requests. Seems like the entire horizon of Jesus' imagination for ask me anything, like his wildest dreams for what we could ask for, has nothing to do with riches or safety. Certainly doesn't have anything to do with safety because Jesus is going to go to the cross like four chapters from now. has nothing to do with riches or safety. It has nothing to do with certainty or even like world peace as such. Like, that's always like the, uh, the good genie answer. Like what do you ask for? World peace, right? When Jesus says, ask me anything, he starts to answer that question for his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father and, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. The companion is the spirit of truth. You know him because he lives with you and he will be with you. The greatest thing that Jesus can ask or imagine, the greatest thing Jesus can hope for his friends before he leaves them is actually that this covenantal God of Abraham, Jacob, and Israel will continue to stick with them. I love the translation we use um, in the CEB because it talks about the spirit as a companion is the name it gives. And and the word is is paraclete, and that's kind of hard to translate because we just have this um, this kind of cloud or this kind of constellation around it. We don't have an exact word for it. Some of your Bibles, a lot of Bibles translate it as advocate, and that's not bad. But most of the time when I think of an advocate, when I want to advocate for someone, I think of someone that's primarily for me. If I have an advocate, they're speaking on my behalf, which isn't bad, but, but that's not the promise here. The promise is for someone alongside Jesus said, ask, and God will send you a paraclete. 
Someone who will be across the table from you. Someone who will stick with you. Like, with you. Like, paraclete means para is alongside, and clete is like, go with. Like, companion. That's the promise. The spirit of truth with you. With me, with us. And lastly, in this way, truth, life, Jesus imagines his disciples utterly locked in. They're, they've joined the fray. They're in the tangle. This is where my notes get really confusing, Jay. Like, that, this is this section right here. Like, that we are locked in to who God is and what God's doing. I live, you will live. I'm in my Father, I am in you. You love me, you're loved by my Father, you're loved by me. I will show up. Like this is, this is language of, um, like St. Paul would say, koinonia, of community, but also of participation. Or this is language, uh, Dr. Cleveland, a couple months ago, talked about perichoresis. This is a dance, this is an indwelling. What if this is supposed to hint at that eternal, abundant life, that sort of thing that goes on with God forever and then leaks backwards into now? It's a locked-in life with God. It's a life where you can't really begin to sort out where Jesus starts and where you end and vice versa. Like, like what, if, what if that characterized us, that, that we were just so tangled up with Jesus like, like when someone says, I saw Jesus in you, and you say, what part? And you say, like, all of you, you know? It's a life that proclaims through steady, small, daily acts that I, and this is Galatians speak, that I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. With and in always go together. Like these are amazing, amazing prepositions. And, and this happens daily, this happens small, this happens slowly, over time, and to the point where it's, it's, it, it kind of happens to us even as we, we participate in it. The writer Annie Dillard once wrote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. <laughs> she says, what we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. So basically, I hate to break it to you, but if you want this way, truth, life, sort of life to get in you, to become part of you, you just start. Like now. <laughs> like, like you just do it. You just believe into God and into Jesus also. You don't wait for it to trickle down. Instead, you, you build up, and it, it happens brick by brick and decision by decision. Like, so you... So, so if, if this is foreign to you, grab somebody that you think is living this way, truth, life, and say, like, how do I start what I do? And, and they'll help you. Like, there's a lot of people that will do it here. And if, like, a, a good marker to start that is to get baptized. So if there's anyone in here that hasn't gotten baptized, that's, that's a good start because it says, um, I'm ready to start this life, so I'm going to die and then I'm going to be raised into it, and then I'm going to practice resurrection now for the rest of my life because I'm, I'm living this resurrection life by the Spirit. 
these little moments of faith in Jesus happen like when you no longer feel like you have to defend yourself in an argument or or like you don't feel like you have to like prove your worth or desirability by giving yourself to someone who doesn't deserve you or isn't committed to you like that becomes that little act of faith becomes a strand of faithfulness it it takes a lifetime of practice in community and digging into the word to discern truth and good news and and to to pull that out away from what's kind of truthiness and like fake news and then let me tell you that truth doesn't exist then on a pedestal or in a museum or just in a book but you'll come to learn after years and years of coming to this table that truth exists around a table in a broken body and poured out blood for the sins of this world and for our renewing the whole truth is an obsession with and a participation in the life of the Father, Son, and Spirit that is opened up to us in the cross. And then this life. This life is only free, whole, and abundant when it's bound to God and others. When we find ourselves never alone because God has pledged to be with us. That's what life is. Life should always, in parentheses, before it have with God, the with God life. And then, and then that with God life, then those parentheses go on to the back end of the verb because we extend that presence when we're with others. We extend that into our homes. We extend that into the neighborhood. Will you guys, will you guys pray with me? Father, we, we pray for this way and truth and life to just get into our bones. And then maybe over time it'll even get into our heads and, and we'll be able to, to understand it. But Lord, give us, give us faith that seeks understanding. Uh, we thank you for your son who's so faithful, who, who shows us in 3D what your faithfulness looks like, but also shows us in 3D what, what, what it means to be a faithful human being made in your image and, and being remade by you. Lord, help us tumble into or dive in, however we do it, whether it's graceful or just totally clumsily, help us dive into your life. It is only in you that we, we find life. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.